Welcome to episode 106 of Stage Really. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stage Really is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre, featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stage Really on Facebook and Twitter at Stage Really Pod, and you can find the website at stagereallypodcast.com. My guest this week is actor, producer, and playwright, and the artistic director of London's New Twist Theatre, Jess McCauley. We recorded this conversation a little while ago using a remote connection. I was in Toronto and Jess was in London, Ontario. So uh, we used a, a Skype connection and there are some issues with the audio, some some lagging and uh, uh, at points uh, talking over each other. Uh, but I thought uh, the conversation was such that uh, I just present it uh, as is. So uh, here's my conversation with Jess McCauley. So I guess where I want to start is actually I, I really want to talk about this this solo show of yours. And you were telling me before that you you know right now you've applied to uh, the CAF yeah. uh, uh, lottery, and so you're hoping to do some Fringe festivals. But what's what's the show that that you're wanting to take to Fringe? Oh my goodness, this has been uh, this has been a long time coming for me. Um, the show is. Um, it's more so a discussion about, yes, depression in the arts, um, but there's an interesting conversation about, uh, to get really in there and in depth right now, about rape culture. And quite frankly, it plagues so many women, and especially with this whole Me Too coming up, and everybody mm. is sharing the hashtag, and it's just, it's overwhelming. Um, for me, this has been... It, my life always felt like chapters of something and it was like i okay. like i was starting a new chapter in life a clean slate and every gentleman caller that has come into my life has changed the course of my life in so many different ways that i need to talk about this now it's been burning in me forever that i finally mm. have just gotten the vision set yeah <laughs> so um I- how how does that i mean i mean obviously there's there's a lot to unpack there yes. so um in terms of you know it it being a show that about uh <clears throat> about depression for one thing um is that do you is that something are you concerned about airing your dirty laundry in that that kind of way is it how personal like is the show yeah that's another thing um i i've been very careful on is I don't want to get up on stage and necessarily start saying, well, this guy wronged me this way and this way. And it's just, that's not the intention of the show. In fact, nobody gets named in it. Um, I'm not going to delve too deep into every single relationship. Um, There was actually a lot of things I did that I need to come forward with. It's more so talking about the cycle of abuse um, and how Mm. I've given abuse. So it's actually the, the full title. It's a long title. It's, Never Have I Ever, The Truth and Tales of Jess McCauley. And it's actually about Mm. all the lies I've told to deal with some of the stress that I was going through with depression. But uh, quite frankly, I think there's a conversation of uh, of honesty and stepping forward now that I want to embrace now. There's been years where I've bottled things up and I haven't talked about it 
and now now's the perfect time as the conversation has come up with everybody so it's it's reassuring mm-hmm. in that way but at the same time I'm not one to do and I like the saying like to yeah air the dirty laundry I'm not one to put the blame there on people yeah so it's a hard process it, it- I mean, it, it is it is a hard process, and there's there's something about um, standing up in front of a room full of people because you're using your name, you're not hiding behind a character, yeah. so you're performing as yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for myself, when I perform my solo show with a character, um, I was I had a certain amount of terror, mm. um, and. Uh, the day that I performed the show for the first time, I really thought I was going to, I was going to throw up. Um, so like the, I'm trying to imagine how it would, how you must feel, uh, thinking about like standing up in front of Mm -hmm. people and, and, and talking about stuff that's so personal. You know, it's, it's really good that you said that. Um, because I actually, um, uh, when was it a couple of weeks ago at confabulation in Toronto, I there was a storytelling night and the theme was called Clean Slate. So I decided to use this opportunity to try exactly that out to see what it's like to really expose yourself and and to say something that's really shameful. So I, I tried an excerpt of uh, what a story I'll be talking about in the show, which uh, it, it was when I actually uh, dated two guys at once. It was uh, yeah, it was interesting. I think I, I I felt the same thing. I felt like I was going to throw up. I was sick. I was sitting with my fiance at the time. And I'm looking. I'm like, I don't think I can do this. And he's just like, you'll be fine. Get up there. Yeah, you, you scamp. And I'm like, all right, fine. So yeah, <laughs> went up there. And by the end of it, I actually had a lot of people come up and say that they actually had been through A, something similar, or B, they just, they, they were in a place where I was, where they made such self-destructive decisions. And for me, that I think mm-hmm. that was the redeeming quality of getting up and exposing myself is knowing that some people just need someone to step forward and say it first before they have to say it. Yeah, and, and I think that's just the sort of comfort that I want to give in the show is that, and the show does talk about forgiveness. It talks about closure and, and moving on with one's life. Um, I, at the same time, though, it, I was wondering if it kind of bordered on a TED Talk, but... Uh, there's there's some performance quality in it, which is good. Yeah. I guess there's always whenever you're talking about something that's kind of personal, you kind of wonder if you're getting it. Is this a play or is this is this a TED talk? Is this uh, something that uh, would be at some kind of uh, mm-hmm. self help seminar or like what is this? And there's always I, I think uh, we all find different ways to to yeah. to combat that to to make sure that what we're doing is is more of a play how how have you uh uh managed to to try to keep from it being a, a, like as you well, said for a TED one talk. thing i i don't want to go while i've been writing it like right now i'm i'm working on framing the story and creating more i i have this process where i like to create a physical frame of the show and go through it and talk, give myself conceptual ideas. I'm actually used to being more on the dramaturgical side. So it's interesting having to ask myself these Mm -hmm. questions now coming back at me. And that's one thing that I did ask is, okay, where can I create the border now and, and cut it off? That's great. We have a moral, but how can I draw people in? And I think for me is getting an idea 
not just through the bad times, but let's talk about the good times as well. Let's talk about the other components in my life that made me who I am. Is this story worthwhile to tell people? Is it going to get them out of this funk that I'm putting them in, right? Because the the one thing I don't want to do is emotionally overload my audience. And giving that moral mm. at the end of it is great. That's going to be awesome. But they need more more than just the moral of the story to lift them up emotionally. They need more hope and joy because that's what my life is. My life isn't just bad things happening. It's There's wonderful things in there. And in fact, the show has a big happily ever after to it. So... I yeah I, I wanted to make sure that people knew I did in fact ride off in the sunset the the proverbial sunset of mm, course yeah yeah and you you said that that you've been working on this yeah show for yeah about it's been a couple years. of years now um I got the idea a long time ago um oh my goodness I talked to us oh no I cannot remember her name it's just blanking on me um, but I, I was talking to a storyteller. She, I, I used to do ghost tours, actually, uh, in Niagara-on-the-Lake. Mm. And she was a fellow tour guide. And her and I started talking just about storytelling shows that she would do. And I'd never heard of storytelling, really, before. I, I had heard of, like, you know, solo shows and biographical shows. I've never actually heard it called mm. storytelling. So I asked her, and I picked her brain on it a little bit. And then she said, oh, I noticed you really like telling stories. So would you ever do it? I'm like, well, I don't think I have something to say. Like, you know, I don't really have big stories like you do. And she said, oh, that's that's not true. And just started poking me on it. And suddenly I think something opened in me that I, I just needed to talk about this now. And it just, I, again, just kept talking to her about it. And it was so nice to be able to air this out. And I felt a sense of closure from it. And from then on... It was there, just incubating, and it just took the 2016 Fringe Festival. I, I saw John Bennett's uh, Fire in the Meth Lab, and I absolutely loved it. I loved the idea of just sitting there and mm. talking about something so personal and, and intimate with people that I, I knew I could do it, too. I, I love telling stories. Mm. Mm. You you said uh, you were mentioning that that you felt like it was time after two years of working on it that it was time. Did it? Did anything kick you in? Was it that that show at Fringe that kicked you in the ass to decide that this yeah, is it? Yeah, it, I have it to definitely do it? was. I mean, like it, his story wasn't so it, it, about the relationship with his brother, but it was seeing other fringers and people telling again those close personal stories, and I have. Like I said, I emotionally bottle mm. things. I do not like feelings at all. I, I like to run from them, in fact. So it was one of those turning points. I mean, my life has changed dramatically. It is a 180 from where it was. Um, and theater is also my passion in life. It's it's what I know. It's all I know. That I, I think I'm doing myself a service at this point by doing it, by using that creative outlet to treat not like a therapy session for myself but just to essentially come to terms with it so that's kind of the way that i thought about mm -hmm. it was just you know i find joy out of theater and i and i find joy talking to people let's mold them together let's do something that's emotionally weighing on me i obviously there's something in me that needs to be said what's being unsaid now mm-hmm mm. did you I mean, you you were talking about your your process being mm -hmm. like building a frame 
Um, did you see the words, the, the process of writing this show really structured or did you, was it exploratory and then drilling down to a, um, to a, so to a first, structure? Like, um, I actually started recording myself. Uh, anytime I was telling a story to my, mm. um, my fiance or my roommates, uh, I would just pick up my phone and tell them what I'm doing. And then I'd actually record myself telling the story. And that's how I had to begin it is I needed to get an idea of what these stories looked like and what I would be including. And eventually I have like, I have a huge file of audio, of audio files and just small stories I'd write down to myself and I, you know, transcribe them onto the computer. Then that's when I said, okay, now let's organize these thoughts and then create the frame. So it, in the sense of exploratory, it was more of everyday life. How am I experiencing everyday life telling these stories now and how can I relate it on stage? Um, and then afterwards I can actually figure out the frame for it. Then I actually like to go into the studio and work with those stories and figure out the transitions and figure out all the, the again, the structure, then I can get the meat to the, you know, to the bones really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, mm-hmm. you were talking about theater being your passion. So when, when did you realize that oh, theater boy. was your passion? Um, I, I was young. Um, it, I, uh, I'm actually Irish. Uh, I, I come from a very Irish family. Everybody can trace our family back to like way far back. Um, and one big Irish tradition when you're having big parties is to do sing-alongs. People love singing. Um, we love getting the guitar out, love cranking the tunes, doing some karaoke. So when I was really young, uh, I was extremely shy, but my mother used to pull me up in front of everybody and used to make me sing. Uh, in fact, it was always somewhere over the rainbow I'd sing. And I just, I started to grow out of it and I started to like performing. And I can remember as far back, anytime something involved theater, I was always, my hand always shot up being like me, I want to do it. And I just, I grew from that and I just became addicted to it. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't think it was my passion anymore. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I actually got bullied by teachers. Um, it was awful. And they told me I'd never go anywhere with it, let it go, you should stick to backstage, nothing else. And I didn't even know it was really my passion until I went to Brock University and I was just exposed to this amazing world. It was just a hobby to me. But as soon as I came, submerged myself into it, I it just lit up in me after that it was just i'm never going back this is my life who cares what the haters say even if they're teachers right <laughs> yeah so so teachers oh, were were, yeah. were discouraging you uh, like <laughs> was that i mean because i know when i was you know when i was in, in uh mm-hmm. in high school and going to see guidance counselors and they were like, so what do you want to do? And I'd be like, I want to be an actor. And they would not know how to deal with that. And there was a lot of, maybe you should <laughs> study business as a backup. Uh, but nobody ever said, don't do it. But there was a lot of discouragement, a lot of, maybe you should do something reasonable, like learn yeah, see, how to no, I, I got computers. the I got very harsh teachers. Um, it, I remember I was trying out, usually choir is for everybody to join, but there was something about these two teachers um, that 
did not like me. I don't know what I did. I mean, I was only eight years old, really, when I first started noticing it. And I remember going to my mom and telling her, like, hey, these guys aren't letting me mm. join anything. Like, and it's all open. Everyone else is joining except for me. And I, I never had the courage to tell anybody past my mother. And my mother wanted to, and I kept begging her not to, because it was like, it was so embarrassing at the time, right? And I really thought it was like, maybe I shouldn't do it. But I remember approaching the teacher and saying, oh, I'm going to sign up for choir. And it was, oh, you know what? No, honey, I, I think we should do something else. And it was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you know what? We need help. Uh, if if you want, you can set up the chairs. Uh, you can get all the, the music stands set up for everyone, but maybe not, you know, Maybe you shouldn't do it. I thought I couldn't sing for years and I never wanted to sing in front of anybody. And I, I actually do sing. I sing really well. Um, but yeah, straight up, I was told not to. Did you ever find out what it was? That, yeah, it's why actually they were telling horrible. You not to? And I did go to somebody to tell them. Uh, I did go. I found out. Oh, this is going to seem so un- unbelievably petty. Um, so the there was a these couple of girls that were in my class that were always chosen for everything and i found out that their parents were friends with the teachers and the kids would complain to their parents saying that they didn't want me around so it was a matter of them bullying to tell their parents that i shouldn't do it and they thought that i was bullying the kids so they thought i was exactly they thought i was bullying them but I wasn't doing anything. I found out years later about that. And I went to those teachers and I told mm-hmm. them what exactly they did. I mean, like, I'll be honest, there were years I missed out on. Uh, I wasn't able mm-hmm. to do anything because I was so afraid. And it was just, and they said, well, we were just trying to do what was best. And I asked them, well, why didn't you talk to me instead of making me feel so excluded? I actually think it's pretty incredible that that you took that... You didn't take that as that's, enough yeah, discouragement to make told. you not want to do this. Because at that, at that age, so many people would, like, if it had been me, mm-hmm. I probably would have just been like, well, I guess I'm not any good. I shouldn't try. Maybe I'll learn how to program computers or something. You know, I wouldn't have, I would not have uh, yeah, pursued it, I, even um, though it was a thing that I really here's loved. The, I'm one of those people that... I'll take it to heart and I'll think I'm not doing it. But like, for instance, I, I actually, uh, I do suffer with depression. So I do get really hard on myself. And I just said the other day, like, you know, I, I can't write, I can't do this. And I wrote a status about it because I thought maybe there's someone else out there that needs to have this acknowledged so they don't feel so alone. And when I did it, my friend calls me and said, you know, ironically, you wrote that so beautifully. And I don't know. I'm like, oh man, okay, fine. I guess you're not wrong, but I and and so I kind of looking back on it now that you say that, I'm thinking like, you know what? Yeah, I guess I never really did let anything hold me back on that one. So like, call it the inner Slytherin in me. But yeah, I I'm definitely a Slytherin, true and true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. That's excellent. Um. I, I'm also like every time Absolutely. I take one of those tests, I'm a you know Pottermore what, no, you know certified what, Phil, Slytherin, and I don't know way, why. Okay, <laughs> nothing. That's right. <laughs> there we go. There we go. There we go. Um, and so, at what point after all of that? At what point did you decide, or did you figure that this was a thing that you needed to do? Um, like, I was actually as your in my first work? year at Brock. Uh, again, I, I don't know. 
I think it was just me thinking, okay, I'm not good at anything else. I should probably just stick with theater. I love it. I'm good at it. Let's see what comes of it. Um, but getting to Brock and having it certified that, it, yes, it was being around other people, like I said before, but uh, I'm going to give a shout out here to my mentor, which is David Fancy. That He was my prof in first year for performance, and we used to do these journals in first year. And I handed my journal in just discussing the, the true difference between listening and hearing on stage. Because you're learning about your 360 awareness as your first year. And you're getting that sense of what it means to be on stage. So I wrote this mm -hmm. long piece about the difference between the two. And I got this note back saying, um, that, was, um, that was really good. Have you considered grad school? And I can't, I went up to him like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? <laughs> I'm sorry, you have faith? And then he was like, <laughs> you're a really good writer. And then uh, him and I just bonded. He always had faith in me. And it, it, it really took that one big role model to put some positivity into how I view myself and my skill that I knew absolutely I can do this. I got into this school. I'm getting, I have a good relationship with my teachers and I can do this. I know I can. And I've had doubts throughout my years, but man, I just barreled through it. I just, I feel like that just, I was this train that was on fire and all this thing was happening, but I still made it to the station safe and sound is how it felt throughout school. Yeah, I made it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, where is the this 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 it show the solo show? Is this your it's first solo first. piece? I've always, if I've ever written something, it's I've always been on the other side of it, so that way I can make notes, I can create a big notebook about it, I can go back on it. Like I, you know, my first big show that I really wrote and produced was done in the Fringe Festival in 2016. Last year, wow, it feels like forever ago. I don't know why I keep saying it like that, but last year, <laughs> and. Yeah, that was the first time. So looking, I was able to have it filmed and I'm able to write my notes about it and I want to do it in a few years. But now that I have this, I have to have myself filmed now and look at myself doing it. And it's it's very awkward. It's very strange for me. Did you did you have a, a a drive to do a solo show previous to this? Was there was there ever a voice in your head that said I want to do? No, actually, a, the a, voice a is always show. saying do stand up. <laughs> I have not tried stand up yet. Uh, when I did confab, I I cracked a few jokes and and got a laugh, which was cool. But nothing ever said solo show solo. It was always stand up, stand up, and I have not explored that yet. So we'll see what mm. happens. Mm. I say ominously. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's it's like I always, ever since I first picked up uh, a, one of Daniel McIver's plays, whenever ever since I first picked up uh, Wild Abandon, I was like, I want to do this. But I could never bring myself mm. to do it. It was like, yeah. how do I make this happen? Because um, I... You know, there's all kinds of, you know, and I would, I just never felt like I had something important enough to say. It seemed really hard. But also for me, a lot of, a lot of, anytime I found a course, it was like, write your own solo show. It was always like, based <laughs> on sorry, everything you about your now? life. And I was like, whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. 
you want you want what? And I, you know, because I was looking at Daniel McIver's yeah. stuff, and he was always like, he's it's a character piece and things like that. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is who uh, this is what that's who I want to be like. And then you know. I eventually oh. came across something and I started writing it. Took me eight years before I was like, you know, if I don't enter a fringe festival and try to do this, Absolutely. I'm going to be writing this thing for the, the rest of my thing. goddamn like, life. You know, I didn't apply for the uh, the fringe festival, the, the past one in London. Um, I was actually working on another big show at the time. And I felt like I was kicking myself, but at the same time, I was like, no, you're rushing it. Stop. I know, like, I have to keep saying it, like, speak to myself in third person sometimes. Like, Jess, relax. You're going to get it. If there's, I feel like there's a sense of urgency mm. right now. It's like, I need to do it. You need to go. And I have to keep stopping myself and saying, why do I keep rushing this? It's just, it's not something you really, like, to be honest, when it comes to something personal like this, you don't <laughs> want to rush that one. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's dangerous talk. <laughs> no, you don't. Well, I mean, the thing is that, like, um, once mm-hmm. you get into a fringe festival and you start you start yeah. working, suddenly, you know, it's real. And now you start to, I know, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I was so freaked out the whole way through rehearsal. Like, I was like. I don't know if this is good. I had to be like, I have to trust that my director is not going to let me go on (laughs) with something that's not good. And it was just like, but because I had no, I could not be objective because it was like, this is my words. There is personal stuff in there, even though it is a character. And, you know, I'm standing up there saying words I wrote. It's all me. And it was so terrifying, the whole process. Oh, I know. And then I did it, and I was like, I'm I'm like, yeah, I cannot not do this now for my life. Like, this is just great. (laughs) Yeah. For me, it was like, okay, so that's this piece. And now what's my next solo play going to be? And meanwhile, (laughs) previously, I'd be like, I think I probably have one I know, I'm like thinking of all these things I can do now. I'm like, yeah, I can tell a story about this, this, and this now. And I'm like, okay, yeah, chill out, girl. Chill out. (laughs) It'll come. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. One at a time, one at a time, one at a time. Um, so, I mean, you were saying... Oh, done, that was you, my first one, what, 2000, what, what yeah, in the last year's done? fringe. I keep, stop saying 2016. It was last year. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I oh, think it was you London. broke up a little bit when you were saying yes. which fringe. Was it London or was it Toronto? London. See, I've never done the London Fringe. I have some friends who, was, who are always like, please bring your show to the London Fringe. And I'm always like, I don't know. What is it? Uh, do you like how, how much uh, do you love the I, London okay. Fringe? I like and, the London and what Fringe. What is it that you love um, about it? The only thing that was strange in the atmosphere is just there there was um i don't know if it was just my year or if it if it's this is just the trend because it's been going on for a few years now but it's um there was always a clear line between local and touring you're over there we're over here there wasn't a lot of borders being crossed but i still really enjoyed the energy and the camaraderie that came with being at club fringe it was just awesome i i do really enjoy it here It seems to me like the there that they're being a, like a, a division between touring and local. No, that's, it's that's it's not. not. I've been not told like everybody's usually to like in it together, and but like it's just I noticed 
again, I think it was just maybe the one-off year, but like when we, we always like my group uh, with new twist, I was telling everybody go out there, go meet people. Like it's not to network. It's to go have fun. Just go talk to people. And they were always welcoming. Like anybody we talked to was always super sweet. I think it was just like, again, tourers always found themselves in one area. We always found ourselves in another. I think it was just the seating plan in all honesty. It might be. I mean, I know it's it's hard when you're uh, the exactly, tour, a touring yeah. show and you start to latch on to people that you know. Because you know, if you're local, you've got you've got your scene. Mm-hmm. You know, you know the lay of the land. You probably have your oh, friends. Exactly, and when you're a touring yeah. show, all you've got is the other touring artists, and so you tend to to latch on and hold on for dear life. Um, but I usually find that by the yeah, as there, the fringe little, goes on, I, just as I, I don't mean to sound like as if I'm experienced, but like it's just that's also just what I've heard from people giving me like you know I I have talk to a few touring artists who say the exact same thing you start to open up more as you're going along and you see them along the way like you're all mm-hmm. in the same circuit right so it's just that's the beauty of it is you do open up <laughs> yeah yeah oh i love no i'm yeah and i always find that 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 like even you know the beginning of the fringe you're there the people that you know and then mm-hmm. as we go on if it's a fringe that has some good mingling um, everybody sort of latches together. Um, I actually have found that some of the fringes that actually, so Winnipeg and Edmonton have a tendency to oh. the fringe tents are not the places the artists go. Mm-hmm. Um, the artists don't hand hang out at the fringe tent. At least they hadn't when I was there. Um, it was that's where the patrons right. went, and it was a great place to flyer, but it's not where the artists hung out. Um, in Winnipeg, it was uh, the King's Head Pub, which tended to be the place that people went. And oh, in Edmonton, the diviest of dive bars that everybody <laughs> loves, it's called Steel Wheels, and everybody ends up there. And it is like the most, uh, oh, when I say I a dive that. bar, th- whatever you're thinking, it's oh, like more yeah. of a shack. But everybody loves it, and everybody goes there. Um, and But I found that that's where local and touring started to come together because in a place like Toronto, locals know the lay of the land and they're at the fringe club schmoozing, talking to people and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and people who are touring tend not to, not to be that way. Um, so we never separate uh, the audience from the, the, the patron in the way that some <laughs> of those other amazing, ones do actually. and force Hopefully the artists together. What are the fringes? I mean, what are the fringes? If you, if you were to get oh the calf gosh, lottery, what are the fringes that you, uh, that you would want to go to? I've always wanted to go to Victoria. I, I did apply for Victoria. I, I've always wanted to go and just experience it. And just to perform there would be mm-hmm. absolutely dreamy for me. And, and even going to Edmonton, because Edmonton mm-hmm. Fringe is massive. Like, it, it's pretty big. So I would love to go there. I, I didn't apply uh, only because, again, I'm very yeah. new. I, I need to stay more in Southern Ontario and just figure it out. If I feel it's something that could lift off for me, I would absolutely apply in like maybe 2019. It can be really, I mean, it's, I'm still afraid of Edmonton. I've been to Edmonton, but like last year I was thinking what, what fringe festivals should I apply to? And I applied to Montreal, mm-hmm. which I, I've been to and I applied to Toronto and uh, I think I played <laughs> no, the me too. And, and people were like, was, "How about Edmonton?" I was I like, felt "Oh like God, shaking no!" Shaking in my boots. I was like, "Oh." Because it was yeah. like, it's just 
Oh yeah, it was so it's so big, and I was like just trying to think like how like my little show trying to make oh, a splash. Oh no, in, the in introvert in me was suddenly like, like I'm an extreme introvert too. Just, I do not like talking, and if it's a massive crowd, like just outside and like coming in, like even if it's a small venue, I know where I am. I'm very self aware, and it's just okay. Little girl in a big pond right now. Hello. I I have so much trouble mm. myself as as an introvert doing the fringe promotion, like walking up to people in a line with my flyers and start and oh, starting yeah. to say the words. Can I tell you about my show? Is my nightmare. Like I have to sit for like a good and... ten minutes with my yeah. head between my knees, just sort of like. I got to deep breathe. I got to like, so I don't, I'm not walking up, up to them sweating with palm, my palms sweating and shaking just to Are calm down high? so I can actually go up and say the words, can I tell you about my oh, show? Man. Um, you know what? I it's just one of those it. things. I, I get it. it a lot where but, people say, you do not look like an introvert. Okay, let's cut the crap, people. Okay. I have red alert going on in my head right now. I may look, I'm very good at coming off as calm and collected, but absolutely in my mind, I'm like, okay, they don't like you. They don't even want your show. They're not even a part of the fringe. You just got someone walking their dog right now. And that's, that's all I keep thinking in my head. Um, but when we were doing it in London last year, it was such a nice feeling, even if they politely took the flyer. I really had to remember that, okay, at least they took the flyer and they and they didn't just flat out walk away from you. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I've always been told, get people before they're going into a show. Do not ever go up to them after a show. And that's so true when you think about it, right? They're just getting out of something emotional with this show, uh, whether it be funny or they're, it's sad. They're on their way to another show while they're lining up is the best place to get them. And... It's it's true. Mm-hmm. There there are fringes where people don't line up, and those ones like Montreal, people yeah. just sort of waltz in as the doors open. So there's no lineup. Oh wow! And yeah, so your so you really only just option is when they're coming out of the show, and that was that was something we had to learn. You have to be like watch people come out and just sort of stand there holding your flyers out with them. It's it's actually mm-hmm. uh, it was actually one of those little things that you 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 pick up. After a while, you were like, "What? We're going to shows. We're like, where are the lineups? And there's no lineups. Where are the people? And yet, some fringes like Edmonton and Winnipeg, um, even though people don't really line up because they buy right. their tickets in advance, it's a finite area, the fringe area. So um, you walk around there and you flyer there. You don't have to wait for a lineup because everybody in that area is there for fringe. So it's, it's it. And all of the theaters are sort mm-hmm. of in that area. It makes it a lot easier to do that promotion. Oh, yeah. I tell you, um, I mean like it's one which of those is, things where you really definitely helpful. want to be taking notes with every single fringe you go to. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely like those little details that can be easily overlooked. Yeah. And I'm just so thankful that I have uh, not like, I just have a good amount of people that have done touring fringes before that I can just ask them those things. Right. And that's the beautiful part about, theater is people are always willing to share their expertise and their advice. I've never met anybody that's been like flat out. Like I'm not telling you that Mm. it's like, it's just, it's beautiful. I love that about theater. 
No, it's it's really true. And I, I was just talking to uh, uh, Jackie Thomas yesterday from uh, Theater Gargantua, and she was like, "This is the secret that I learned, and the secret that Absolutely. I tell everybody is everyone wants to oh, help." Yeah, you. I, honestly, I have a couple of people and it is that so true. ask me for help, and I just I light up when they do. It's just it's such a wonderful feeling. I have a friend that's working on a script right now, and I've told him like anything you need, you come to me. And so he's just been picking my brain. We've been talking about workshops, how to mm. facilitate them. Because I, I do, I actually did want to go to school, like to get my master's so I could facilitate properly and coach. And I've, I'm really good at doing workshops. So I've offered to do, to help them do workshops for their script and do all those things. And they just, they couldn't believe that help was being extended to them. It's like, mm. well, that's what you do for each other in this field. Like it's, it's a hard field and it's an instable industry as it is. So being there for each other is such a strong community factor that I love that it's always upheld. Mm-hmm. That is that is definitely one of the best things about it about about the theater community is the way that people are willing to to share. Yeah, in there's a way always that, that competitiveness really to it. Industries. I don't want to give away my secrets because that's my signature or this is something that is benefiting me, right? But you know, the thing about theater is because it's such, you know, there's a liminal experience happening at the moment. Everything is being suspended that it is truly about the community, the act of witnessing right now, that you're already all together. Those secrets are for everybody to share at that point. That's my poetic moment for theater, by the way. Well, it's. I mean, it, it is. It is pretty amazing because I've been involved in uh, uh, some film productions where you know I walked in and they were like, "Okay, so Phil, we know we, you like to Instagram right. and tweet, um, but you can't do that for this because we don't want anybody anything to get out." Whereas I always find yeah. in theater, it's like just you know whatever, put it out there, put it out there, put it out there because you know they, we don't have to worry about secrets because uh, we're always trying to invite people in. And also, so what if somebody ends up doing a show that covers the same yeah, a similar exactly. topic to mine? You know, They're I, not going to do it the same companies. way. Like, I think as I've I worked would. with one theater company before that really did not want anything to be shared. If anybody asked a producing question, or if they asked, it was very much a. It, it was along the line of, "Why are you going to steal it?" And it's and it's like, well, yes, politely to put it, and it's mm. just. And I remember coming up to the producer of the show, and I was saying you really missed an opportunity to bring that person in. And it was just, well, why would I do that? They're with this theater company. I'm like, okay, it's not a business. <laughs> Stop treating theater like a business. It is not a business. You can't franchise theater. You can't incorporate it. it. You stop. So it's just one of those things. I've never met anything. It's very odd when it does happen. And there's something about the show's integrity that just changes completely. Yeah. Like, mm. It's true. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lack of competition in theater. I think that that at least in 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 my idealized world, and I do see it when people stop seeing other people as competition, that we're all stronger. I remember the first time that I went to to the Montreal Fringe Festival. Uh, uh, one of the performers mm-hmm. does a a a, 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 a workshop. And it's about how to promote during Fringe. And the first thing that she says right. is there's audience enough for everyone. And that's one of the things that I've always sort of tried to, to live by, that we're mm-hmm. not competing with each other. There is audience enough for, for everybody. 
and like and this is the kind of thing that I often see at the on the fringe circuit is somebody who you know okay so I'm talking to somebody about uh, my show oh they can't come they have to work whatever when can you see a show ah so at this time my friend my friend Jess her show is and it's at this theater you can go yeah it's a really oh. good show and I start promoting their show and this is something that happens and the that's fringe awesome. world and it's it's oh, one so of the most good. amazing and best oh, things just, about fringe that's the thing that gets me you know there there's a lot of things that I like to speak about one thing being is any sort of mental illness in the arts. And I'm going to connect this in right now. Like, I just got to say this as someone who cannot talk to other people and cannot express how I feel sometimes, don't get me wrong. I'm very blunt and I'm very honest, but when it comes to anything about how I feel, it's hard, but I really appreciate that about fringe is it's just, I don't have to feel that way. Immediately, everybody just comes together and unifies. And to feel that is just one of the best feelings and most satisfying feelings. Mm -hmm. And I've shut myself a lot out a lot. Um, I I have that. I'm very guilty of it. Um, But as soon as anybody invites me in, it is just one of the most loving feelings. And absolutely, it happens with the fringe. And I I love that. I absolutely adore that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, now yeah. I think we, we talked about you, you, you're wanting to do Victoria. And yes, London, it is. Or, yeah. London. I've never um, been to Montreal. Is Montreal in there? In your list of fringes? Uh, yeah. And oh, it's a Montreal Fringe is the fringe festival that a lot of people launch their, their tours in. It's a it's oh, a good kickoff because so um, it is a it is quite a party, um, and yeah, uh, I, I'd are, like to so stay you here. Mostly um, want to stay in Ontario, again, it's one though, of those things right? of just I I need to stay close to home right now because I really do feel very inadequate. I I have an inadequacy problem where I keep thinking I'm not going to do something to the caliber of my colleagues. So, but at the same time, I have to keep reminding myself that, okay, maybe let's Mm. not look at it that way. Maybe let's look at it as a a funding sort of proposition right now of, and I'm very good with money. I love fundraising. I can do it. No problem. Mm. Um, so I can definitely cover my bases in Southern Ontario. That's just the way I try to frame it. So that way I stop getting myself down. So staying in Southern Ontario is a great idea. If you want to do it in 2019, mm. take it across Canada. Let's absolutely do it. There will be no excuse at that point then. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, that, at that point, you'll know that the show works. Like when I did, you know, I did uh, my show, The Commandment, uh, and I did it at One Fringe the first year. And that was really more because, um, well, first off, it's the one I got into. But I didn't right. want to take this show that I didn't know if it was working. Yeah. To I, I, other you know, fringe I've been even trying to work up. I wasn't um, ready for research that. some other festivals I could go to. Like I'm from St. Catharines, so I know in the Soil Arts Festival happens every April. So I know I can take my show there and all of my profs are in St. Catharines. So I, I know I can invite them. I can invite my close friends. I know I can get a really nice little performance workshop out of it. So at least then I'll have that comfort of knowing, okay, the show's going to work or it's not going to work. How can we fix it? Um, to, I'm very much a, it is what it is. Let's just move on. I don't like to dwell. Um, so at least I have the benefit of having that. 
And that way, when I do launch it in Fringe, then you can really start taking it apart and, and think about the reception from each Fringe Festival and improve it further, right? So there, I, I have to see it as there's no... There's no way out, nowhere else to go yeah. but up, right? So thinking positively for someone as cynical as me is a feat. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the one of the, the 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 biggest challenges of a fringe festival tour is that um for the yeah. most part, every time you go to a different place, you're you're starting over. And what worked it like a show that is beloved yeah, in toronto could be that. disliked yeah. in another I, city. it's so funny you say um, that um and you never my, know my, i did a show back in oh i need to stop saying that jess it's 2000 my goodness last year i when i did my show guilty pleasures <laughs> i got a lot of mixed reviews about it i got so many people saying uh, it was too over the top. It was too loud. It was too this, too that. But then I had so many people also saying that was a kick-ass show. Oh my gosh, they felt so pumped after it. And I could tell who it was speaking to and who it wasn't speaking to. And when I, I brought this up to somebody and I said, why is the show not working? And they told me, they said, what, what fringe did you do it at? And I said, London. They said, okay, just remember every Fringe Festival is going to have a different reception. And it just, I felt so much better after that. I did not know that reception's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. it really does. It really does have a lot to do with the Fringe that you're at. Um, and I remember, you know, you encounter people who are like, oh, you know, I have, so, I have to work so much harder in Winnipeg because one time I was there and... The reviewer seems it seems they didn't like that I said the word fuck a lot, and so they gave me this 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 bad review. And now wow. I have to work hard every day to get people into my audience. And uh, you know, you never know what the person who's going to come to the show is going oh, to absolutely. how they're going to react to it. And reviews are the most important thing during a fringe. Mm -hmm. So you just, yeah, you it, just have to go with funny. whatever you London whatever is, you get and try to make the is best. It's an of interesting it. theater community. It's very much a they do a lot of traditional theater here. Like there is a lot of traditional. There's a lot of great companies. There's a lot of new shows that come out. We've got some great indie theater that does happen here. And when it happens, it, everybody just latches to it. But I remember doing, oh, just back this summer, I did Peter Panhandler, which was our big devised production for the show. And it is it was very out there in terms of like, not, not experimental, but just in terms of a story, it was... We asked a lot of our audience and I just, we, our numbers were, were a lot lower than I thought it would be. Not to say people didn't enjoy it. They loved the show, whoever came, but it was just, uh, it was one of those things of be careful where you put your experiments and, and London was definitely one of them. So now I've learned, okay, for the next show, mm -hmm. how yeah. am I going to produce this? How am I going to present it? Because you really, when you produce, you really are asking you're not selling, you're asking. So how can we ask? How can I ask my audience to come to see this, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's that's just my little producer thing I learned. <laughs> you learn along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's no, a actually, question. I, Where did I you, went to Brock. Like, uh, they offer a couple of producing fly? classes. Uh, there's arts management and producing an event. 
Um, and I've always had an interest in how theatre is sold and how we do get butts in the seats. How do we get them there? I've always been interested in that. So I've always, I've, um, I worked with this wonderful theatre company in Niagara and I just watched the producer very closely and see what she would do. And I learned from her, actually. Um, and applying it to your own show. So I got the benefit of doing the Fringe Festival where a lot of your promotion is done for you. Um, you, you already have a platform. So I had a nice starter. And then going on to my next show was amazing. I absolutely loved producing. And having that background in it already and having that degree behind me was absolutely beneficial. Like I still have my notes from class that I read. I, I still have my template of... Um, a promotional schedule, marketing schedule. I have a giant inventory and directory of all these media outlets and who to contact, right? So it's just those little skills from school that really help, but that doesn't mean that you need mm. school to be a producer, right? There's lots of people that have done it with just experience. There's people that uh, can do internships. There's ways to do it, right? But I'm just very glad that I at least had it in school and right then. Uh, as opposed to going out on my own and trying to find these producing courses. Like there's one in Hamilton, the alert program. It's amazing uh, that they offer that for people to help produce the, the Frostbites Festival. That's awesome. To me, that's great. I just, I know I wouldn't have found it in time for when I mm. needed it, right? Well, it's, 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 mm -hmm. you know, it's when I was oh. in theater school, um, we didn't talk about, yeah. about self-producing. Uh, now, of course, this was a long time ago, but, um, in terms of producing, it was something that, oh, that no. if, if you were self-producing, you had failed as an actor. Occasionally they, and back in those days, it was like, this is like early nineties. So it was like, um, Oh, you know, maybe you could do something in the Fringe Festival. Mm -hmm. And it was like the Fringe was what you did if you couldn't do something else. Now, self-producing yeah, is like this, this essential part I'm of, seeing a lot of, of uh, being young a theater artist. Coming forward and claiming them, like, I don't mean like claiming to be. I mean, like, actually proclaiming themselves as producers. I love it because it is an art form in itself. Um I always, I, I've always been recommending it for everybody. Mm -hmm. Learn to write a grant. Learn how to research a grant. Talk to your jurors. Like, go out and find whoever is the, the officer for any grant fund. Go and talk to them. Like, I, I love that I have such an awesome relationship with the London Arts Council. They're phenomenal people. And I find so many young artists are not, do not take advantage of that. Don't go out, they don't go out and make those relationships. And when you start pushing them to go and just talk to them, open up about your project, you find this great conversation opens up and suddenly it's, oh, my project now has substance and there's potential for community support behind me. That is so imperative to have. And I'm so thankful that I live in a community with an arts council. Yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't yeah. know that you can no, just I mean, email them and say, "Hi, my name is so and so, do, and I want to do the show. Can we talk about it?" And it's just it's sad, like not not sad in the sense of like, "Oh, way to go, guys! You're not doing it." But like, it's just it's sad that we don't make it aware to people. And I'm again, I'm so glad I took that course because knowing me and who I am, I wouldn't have had enough faith in myself to just reach out, right? 
Mm. Absolutely, yeah, because, I do. I mean, it's like uh, do you I know actually the book, have uh, Amanda Palmer's <laughs> The Art of Asking. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's a book. I mean, what she's talking about is exactly that. You know, you don't get it if you don't ask. But we all, I think, come out of uh, our our theater school or into the into the uh, the 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 theater world, wondering: Are we always supposed to know all mm-hmm. of this stuff? If I ask, am I showing that I don't? Does that work against me? What does it mean? You know, instead of like just sort of having yeah, it, you know the, what? The courage I, to just I say I don't know. When I was in theater Somebody school, I really tell felt me. bad for not knowing what other people may have known. I felt awful and felt inadequate with everybody. And I noticed it yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. outside of school, but I think that's it's something you really learn is that okay, not everybody knows everything. I'm not afraid to say I don't know something. And just reminding other people that it's okay to ask again, coming back to that people will help you. Mm. Like I cannot do the storytelling show without those people behind me. Right. And the art of asking, it is an art to ask people, especially for money, of course. Right. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. See, that is, that is, that's the other part of the producing thing that I think people don't, I mean, fundraising is, is it's a frightening thing. Asking, it's hard enough to ask That's, for help. Yeah. It's even harder to ask people for money in a lot of cases, and people just freeze up in in a way that 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 um because uh, no, you know we don't. again and you know that just was a we whole, don't talk about like, self producing. I'll be honest, we don't it talk was a about giant fundraising. unit in school. Like we had to learn all the different sort of platforms that fundraising can be, and how what sort of money taken in, what it can what it's considered as. And I remember doing the fundraiser for Peter Panhandler. And I was scared because at the very beginning, in an hour into the fundraiser, only two people showed up. And all the rest of it was like just the cast that showed up. We had a a couple of my friends, Uh... my family came. But suddenly there was just this giant flood of people that came in. And I, I like to go around, talk to a room. Like it's not promoting my show that I, um, I thought of that way, but when I went to talk to them and say, oh, how did you hear about the fundraiser? Um, what do you think so far? What do you think? You know, just getting in there and talking to them. It was very much, uh, um, I, I don't, I got some really nice reviews of, you know, well, you're in the community. We need to talk and I love your show. And I think that was what made it so easy was being able to talk about the show with people that I didn't have to talk about the money. It wasn't about the money. It was about why are you here? Um, how did you hear about us that suddenly made it easy Mm -hmm. and becoming accessible, the accessible name, I call it, because I I do like to put my name. It always is going to be on posters for sure for new twist, but I always like to make myself accessible. You can always reach me. You can always talk to me. I'm always going to talk back. Um, and Mm -hmm. I think that's what people really enjoy is being accessible, that it makes asking very easy and it's making them care about your project that I've learned when it comes to fundraising is I'm not going to say, hey, I'm selling tickets to my fundraiser. We're running it for this show. You should come out. I always frame it as, hey, we're a group of young artists. We wrote this show. We're going to put on an amazing party. The tickets are on sale. You can come whenever you like. And then, of course, you put in later, hey, we've got raffles. We've got this. I'll put it in that it's a fundraiser in the title, Mm. but I'm not going to ask you straight up to come to my fundraiser, if you know what I mean. If that makes sense, it really helped. We actually made more than we thought we were going to, so the method worked. 
Yeah, mm. we it worked. It was awesome. We were able to afford all of our costumes, everything we needed. Oh, wow. It was great. Wow. Yeah, great. I know. We, we even got our costumes from Stratford. It was great. <laughs> yeah, wow. Thank you. It was really cool. It was my first big successful fundraiser. Hey, there you go. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. No, actually, I did crowdfunding as well oh. for Guilty you, Pleasures. I, I needed just a little you, bit of extra money for, um, oh, just for paper, uh, paper promo. I needed a little bit extra for costumes and some set pieces and props. And again, that was successful. It's just, it's really about how you frame it, that you make people care about the money. And then suddenly they... Hmm... Yeah, I have some real. I see people using crowdfunding oh, yeah. as a, as a. I think that you, in theater we use it very badly. Um, I see a lot of a lot of crowdfunding campaigns that are are set up as no as if you know no. please donate to my thing and that's not why people back crowdfunding. People back for a piece of it or for like people back it for the perk. If you can't give them a perk they want, they don't want to back it. So. A lot of these, a lot of these crowdfunding campaigns that are like for ten dollars, we'll tweet. Uh, uh, yeah. Thank you for twenty dollars. See, like we'll thank I got the very lucky because website. it's like these are things okay, you do I anyway. I wouldn't do that Give them personally if it was going to be a bigger show. Like for for uh, when I did crowdfunding, I was only asking for six hundred dollars. That was it, and it was like I knew I was, I knew who I was targeting. I knew I was gonna be, I right. I knew I was gonna be targeting London, obviously, and my friends and family. That was it. So when, but I'd offer things like, oh, I'll send you the poster with all of the cast signature on it, but wait for this. And then we do something that was more community based that would make it fun for them. Offering a huge audience the will tweet you and give a big social media thank you. For me, exactly that. Okay, but that's the bare minimum. That's something you should have done already. Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, I think that you do that anyway. You don't make that part of the perk. You have to give people Mm -hmm. something they want. I've... I only ever back stuff, back something if I want something. Oh, I know. Like, I, I, I will never back cool something just because ooh, I feel good about money, it. And I'm like, get hey, do I get it? For. Like, if I pitch this much money, and I'll pitch the money for it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, and the, and the thing is that I know that my yeah, you know, my average for backing something is fifty dollars if I like the mm-hmm. perk, like. And I don't mind dropping that if the perk is good. And so, like, if if theater companies were able to take that information and to be like, oh, if we give good perks, yeah. instead of, like, getting a bunch of $10 donations, we could get a bunch of $50 donation, donations, you know? Like, if you put the thought into it and you, you get a good campaign, maybe it'll work a little better. But, again, that's one of those... I think there's more. There's a little bit more to it than just that because Oof, crowdfunding's uh, already hard. And it's as one it is. of those nuts I mean, I'm like trying to got, crack. And one oh, day, oh yeah, you've got already got one day so many like, it. like thousands, like thousands upon thousands oh, of theater companies already on like Indiegogo, and there is no way you're going to make it to the top. I mean, like if I, for me at least, it felt hopeless mm-hmm. when I was doing crowdfunding, and I'm looking through, and I mean, I, 
I'm a shopper. I need to be able to look around, yeah. check out. You know, I'm one of those people, like, when I shop for a venue, I look at box office, for instance. What percentage do they take? Okay, well, I do that same for crowdfunding. What percentage are they going to take, and how can mm-hmm. I make that back up? Um, so 600 was the lucky number for me, but when I was looking at all these other sites and all these other companies, it just again i i felt hopeless it was like how am i going to get these people to to like it and and bid for it and i think that's when i had to remember remember what the show is remember who you're targeting and that made it easy from there i'm not going to make it all the way to the top here unless i'm buying backers and and what's the sense in buying your backers like i i've met a company that was like oh well you know we we pitched a hundred dollars and we were able to get you know a thousand people to back it. And I'm like, okay, but how far are you from getting your community to back you up? Because that's who matters is your community. You're selling them the tickets. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's all these companies. As soon as you get something on Kickstarter, Indiegogo, they start contacting you. We can, if you give us some money, we can get you more backers. And it's always... For me, one thing, I it just know. kind of ruins really the integrity actually what of I need to do asking here. for money. Again, like we said, it's an art form to ask for money. You're ruining the integrity at that point. Yeah. For me, that's just my opinion, though. But in another sense, you're not getting a clear idea of yeah. analyzing your numbers at that point. Because if I want to make a crowdfunding crowdfunding successful, I need to know who pitched. what, How much did they give? Uh, is there a certain area of talent? Like, that's just my business side from things and how analytical I can be. I analyze like crazy when I do anything producing and money because it's got to come from somewhere. It's got to be a clear source. Find it then. And I just find that on crowdfunding, it's very all over the place. 